Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease, but I do kind of have a cold <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. Yes. I've lost about 100 pounds and I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Oh, yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? No way. Uh, we have done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Oh, yeah. We love to cook and we love to eat. Yeah. In every episode, we both share a keto recipe that cannot, will not, dare not, dare not <laughs> <shall> be <laughs> ignored. <laughs> so let's start podcast number 110 Beck Johnson, type 1 diabetic superstar. Heard you say y'all do for a little. So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, last week's show was uh, uh, the Keto Fest show. Right. Uh, I don't think we did said anything wrong. Um, we've got an update on Keto Fest, which we'll do later on in the in the show. But yep. uh, no, I think no no errata that I know of. Yeah, me either. So let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. A ketogenic diet is any diet that puts you in a state of nutritional ketosis, mm -hmm. and the surefire way to get there is by reducing carbohydrates to twenty grams or less per day. Yep. And uh, only from non-starchy, sugary sources such as uh, vegetables, maybe some eggs, uh, some dairy, that kind of stuff, some cheese, heavy cream. Yeah, that food doesn't have a lot of carbohydrates. It, it still has some. So you still have, you know, one egg is going to have a gram of carbohydrates. So if you've mm -hmm. only limiting yourself to 20 grams, that's not a lot of food. So uh, you really can't afford in that window to be able to have uh, potatoes and pasta and all right. the other things, bread, all the other things that have starch in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you don't miss them. But uh, it's not a, a high-protein diet either. It's a moderate-protein diet. And we sure. go by a, a calculation of one to one and a half grams of protein every day for every kilogram of lean body mass that you have. Yeah. Yeah, the range for, for safety is really between 1 gram and 3.3 grams, and you'll find somewhere in that range that's ideal for you. For us, between 1 and 1.5 and grams has met mm. all of our goals. Yeah, uh, and me even lower lately, but that's mm. another story. Um, mm -hmm. All of our energy we get from fat. Fat. Yeah, fat on your plate or fat from that Krispy Kreme that you ate a decade ago. <laughs> exactly. So, Richard, how was your week? Uh, it was pretty good. I uh, went to Perth last weekend, and that was a low-carb conference in Perth, mm -hmm. uh, and I recorded a whole bunch of interviews, uh, got some really good interviews. Um, we're going to play one later on today, yeah. uh, but uh, we also got interviews with um, low-carb gurus like Professor Ken Sakaris, the, mm -hmm. uh, the lipidology guy, um, 
a pathologist and also uh, from Dr. Toy Stapleton, radiologist and type 1 diabetic. Uh, but we got lots of interesting interviews of, from people that aren't that well known in the keto community but uh, should be. And so, uh, yeah. so that that was fun. And then um, I was sort of jet lagged. It's just kind of weird. I mean, Perth is like uh, two or three hours away in mm. time zones. It's about four and a half hours flight away, and it was just weird that I was just jet lagged the whole week. But oh. um, anyway, um, I'm finally starting to come come good now. But I've been tired for uni the whole week. Mm. Uh, but you know, I've been catching up and uh, and now I'm finally coming good and I've decided to start um, going to the uni gym as well, which is uh, something new that I'm going to start doing as nice. well. I'm, I'm also cycling, you know, 20, yeah. 30K a day. So, right. uh, you know, it's uh, it, I think it's just uh, time for me to start doing a little bit more exercise. I just feel like doing it. It's not that yeah, I yeah, want to yeah. lose weight. It's just that I just feel like I want to uh, I want to start working more on flexibility and um, and more on uh, upper body strength because you know a lot of my stuff is cycling. So that was my week. How was your week? Uh, pretty good, really good, actually. Um, you, you heard me mention on last week's show that I I developed a tremor mm. and. I've sort of been noticing it more and more, and uh, uh, and and Jason Fung sort of diagnosed me as having an essential tremor. All right. So uh, Virginia Gunther from RNA Reset was mm. listening to that show, and she was mm-hmm. like, "Ah, you know that happens to a lot of people who go ketogenic and and don't eat a lot of vegetables. Most of us have a magnesium deficiency." Right. She's a big proponent of magnesium, and one of the the signs of of not enough magnesium is uh, is tremors. Yeah. So she sent me a booklet. I read it. I started taking magnesium, and guess what? It went they away. They went away. Look nice. at this. Yeah. 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 So the tremors are normally in your hands. They shake a little bit, and yeah, basically that's it. Um, they're they're in my hands, and when I extend my hands out and hold my hands up, that's when you see it. Mm. If yeah. if the hand is resting, you know, on the desk, it won't shake. But it won't shake. Yeah. But yeah, you, so it's basically nerves like in the arm, that kind of thing yeah. that, that cause it to shake. Yeah, so it's interesting that um, magnesium is commonly found in dark leaf, leafy greens. Right. Um, the, cl- the chlorophyll molecule actually has a magnesium right in its center. Yeah. And so if you want to look at magnesium in food, go look at things like spinach and broccoli and um, and not so much in things like cauliflower, which is you know almost the same plant as broccoli because it uh, doesn't have a lot of... Uh, a lot of green in the actual uh, florets that we eat. Um, so, mm. uh, so that's that's one place to find it. But of course, you can supplement it. And uh, yep. And uh, it, it, traditionally, his evolutionarily, we uh, human beings really uh, evolved and thrived along the shorelines. And the shorelines are where we get a lot of salt. And um, mm. the salts in the in the shore, around the shoreline around the ocean are very high in things like iodine and magnesium. Yeah. That's awesome. So well, well done. Thank you. And thank you, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe they're coming to KetoFest as well. So you can go to wow. RNA Reset and read all about uh, magnesium deficiencies and check out mm-hmm. their products too. Nice. Um, I'm also anticipating springtime here. Uh, <laughs> I bet you're ready for it by now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Waiting for the summer to come. You know, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> anyway, I'm... Um, uh, I'm looking forward to doing some more outdoor exercise as soon as it mm-hmm. warms up. Nice. I don't like walking and running around in the cold, but uh, who does? I'm <laughs> get out the three wheeler and start cycling around. I can't Sweet. wait. Yeah. Mm. 
Well, Richard, I feel like giving away a mug, do you? Yeah, let's give away some loot. Yeah, and we've picked one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes mm-hmm. fan club to win a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug today. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't know what the fan club is, it's easy. You can join it. It's free. Go to fanclub.twoketo.com. And just mm-hmm. answer a few questions, and uh, we'll have your name and your your email address, and uh, you can just uh, relax and wait for your name to be called. Yeah. Yeah. And so, who have we got this week? Today's winner is Tegan Barcom. Congratulations, yeah. Tegan. Congratulations, Tegan. get a mug Tegan. with our mugs on that's, it. <laughs> that's right. And if you don't want to wait to win a mug, you can always buy one at gear.2keto.com and pick yourself up a T-shirt or other junk while you're at it. Yeah, other junk that shall remain nameless. <laughs> Let's not go there again. No, we're not going there. <laughs> and that brings us to a segment we call... Mail! 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 Mail time! <laughs> All right. What you got, Cal? Well, this is actually a comment in Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, but it's not just for our podcast. It was actually left for the Obesity Code podcast, which we produce, right? Yeah, nice. And uh, it's titled, Thank You, Dr. Fung, Megan, and the Two Keto Dudes. And it's five stars, of course. (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. I've followed Dr. Fung on dietdoctor.com, and I love Megan. Anywhere I've heard Dr. Fung, I've enjoyed his honesty and straightforwardness about how we are currently treating diabetes with carbs and then wonder why it's a worsening epidemic when we could treat it for free by changing what we eat and at the same time vastly improve our health in other areas. In the same way, we're treating obesity with tactics that have already been proven to fail. But the food and pharma industries seduce us with advertising, bad science, and addictive foods and harmful medicine. I've begun fasting with great success, been ketogenic for six months, and have lost 42 pounds that I feared I would be stuck with forever. Wow, well done. Best of all, I know this is permanent and I will lose the remaining 30 pounds and stay a healthy weight. I want everyone to have the success and relief I have found. My whole future is different now as well as my whole family's future. My husband is on board and my 18-year-old son as well. We will be spared the illnesses and chronic disease so many others will have to deal with. Dr. Fung, you deserve the Nobel Prize. Wow. We couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. So- Yeah, that's just, uh, you hear this over and over and over again. Um, Not just people who listen to our uh, podcast, but- you know, people who go ketogenic and a whole host of things happen physiologically that, uh, you know, reversing type 2 diabetes, fatty liver disease, all of these great, you know, weight loss, all these great uh, these great uh, testimonials. They just keep coming and coming. Yeah, absolutely. So what you got, Richard? So I've got one here from the ketogenic forums. This was actually a, a, a personal message that was sent to Daisy and, and I was CC'd into it. Hmm. Um, and uh, this message is from uh, TJ. And TJ says, um, I've been listening to the Keto Woman podcast. There have definitely been episodes that I found super interesting, like the recent interview with Amber. Am- that's Amber O'Hearn. Uh, yeah. It probably seems a bit weird, a guy listening to a podcast for women. <laughs> my main motivation was for takeaway tidbits to share with my wife. I've been working on getting her to start keto over the last several months, and, and I had been sharing things I learned from the Two Keto Dudes podcast, but it was sharing stuff from Daisy's podcast from a woman that made the difference. 
Awesome. She recently joined the Kick-Ass Keto Bitches Facebook group. Uh, this is a group that Daisy runs, and mm-hmm. she just started day two in keto. Uh, and TJ says, I just want to drop a quick note to let you guys know that I'm very grateful and can't possibly thank you enough for what you are doing. Wow. So that's a testimonial for another podcast that we produce, which is mm-hmm. uh, Daisy Brackenhall's Keto Woman. And in yeah. fact, we were actually on Keto Woman as guests. Yeah. So we were able to uh, exhibit our feminine side, our X chromosomes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such as they are. So before we get to the interview today, let's do a Keto Fest update. Sure. Yeah. So where are we at? Well, we're over 80% funded. Wow. Yep. Through Kickstarter, we sold all the VIP tickets. Nice. We added a $100 option for live streaming so mm-hmm. that people can watch it live. Yeah. And, and that comes with a t-shirt as well, right? So and it comes with you, a t-shirt. Yeah. If you, if you uh, kickstart any of the levels, you get all of the lower levels as well, and the t-shirts and the lower levels. So That's this right. is the only option really to get, uh, to get live streaming. After the Kickstarter, live streaming mm. will be more expensive and it won't come with a t-shirt. So, right. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big after the, uh, a big after option, the Kickstarter, yeah. everything will be more expensive, and and oh, yeah. that's that's why we want a, a call to action right now, which is mm. we we haven't seen a, as many two day ticket sales as we wanted to, yeah. uh, as we expected. All the VIP tickets are gone; those all those went yep. right away Sorry. last year yep, too. They're, they're very popular. Yeah, yeah. But what we really need is to sell more of those two day tickets. Sure. Now, the, right now they're three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think that's expensive, just go check out some of the other low carb conferences that are <laughs> around. Yeah, uh, and, what and you most get, of those won't feed you either. Yeah, they won't feed you, and they'll only be presentations. There, it won't be mm-hmm. the party that Keto Fest is. Yeah. Um, also, that price is going up after the Kickstarter. It's right. going up to three fifty. Mm. So if you are on the fence about it and you want to save fifty bucks. Now's the mm-hmm. time to commit and get us over the hump. Absolutely. Just go to ketofest.com and make your pledge. So, Richard, we're going to play a, a recording of an interview that you did with Becca Johnson in Perth. Yeah. Can you tell us about it? Yeah. So, uh, so I went to the Low Carb Conference in Perth, and uh, this was run by MHS and J- Dr. Joe Kostrich. And so I got a whole bunch of interviews, but one of the presenters I'd never heard of before, and she gave a presentation that was like a TED Talk. I was so impressed. And so I, I said to her, look, I'd really love to get an interview uh, with you for the Two Keto Dudes podcast, and she 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 jumped at it. Uh, now Becca is the CEO of the Telethon Type One Diabetes Family Center, and this is a charity, a local charity that is supported by the Telethon. This is a big event in Perth. Hmm. Uh, telethon runs every year, and it's a little bit like you know Jerry Lewis's Telethon that he used to do every year. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit like that, but it's for the whole state of Western Australia, and it's wow. unique to Western Australia, and uh, they run it every year, and it. It basically funds a different charity every year, and nice. uh, her charity was the te- was the Type One Diabetes Family Centre, mm. which is a family centre uh, uh, that, that it supports uh, families of kids with Type One diabetes. Awesome! When I listened to it, I was just amazed at how much stuff she has accomplished. So yeah, there's nothing that she cannot do, apparently. Yeah. So I'm going to let Beck tell you about her story. Great. Okay, so I'm back again in Perth, and this is like my seventh audio recording, and uh, we're here with Beck Johnson, and Beck Johnson is the CEO of? 
the Telethon Type 1 Diabetes Family Centre. Awesome. Yeah. It's um, an organisation that we set up here in Perth that is the first of its kind in Australia. Um, we are acknowledging the real need for better social support for people with Type 1 diabetes. Mm. Um, when I was diagnosed with Type 1, I remember having great medical care but really needing help with the practical and social aspects of, of life with this new and very complex disease. Mm. And I was really lonely for a really long time. It was very isolating. Um, I didn't know anyone. I didn't meet anyone with type 1 diabetes for about 10 years. Mm. And I'll tell you the little story. The first time I yeah. met someone with type 1, I was at my friend's house and um, I opened their fridge because I was going low and I was hunting for some orange juice and yeah. there was insulin in the butter compartment. <laughs> And everybody who knows type 1 diabetes knows that's where you store your it insulin. Is, and, yeah. and I said to my friend, has your housemate got type 1 diabetes? Mm. And um, she said, yeah. And she introduced me to my now good friend, Sarah. Mm-hmm. And Sarah came through the door and, and we had this conversation that just blew my mind. I had never met someone else with diabetes and it was sort of went like, oh, you do that. I do that. <laughs> you think like that. Oh. <gasps> think like that and and was she also alone she thought she was alone and had not met many she'd people had diabetes well. since she was four and we were around uh. the same age and she had one other friend with type one um yeah. and i think since having that meeting and realizing the power of having a friend with diabetes yeah. it, it really inspired me both professionally and personally to start building a tribe yeah um i've got a amazing social group of mm-hmm. people with type 1 around me, adults with diabetes, and we we connect online and we connect um, face-to-face and we share tips and tricks and hacks and and the things that we're ch- being challenged by and the yeah. things that we're winning on. Yeah. Um, and it's really motivating and that's really some of that the main experience that fed back into mm. how and why we set up the family centre. So people may not know, even other Australians may not know, that WA has a telethon that runs every year and disperses money. It's basically a, a television event that is uh, it's a charity drive and it, it, it disperses money to worthy organisations. And, mm. and, um, and you, uh, So how did you get involved with the telethon to start this whole thing up? Because it's a worthy thing. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had support from Channel 7's Telethon Trust and mm-hmm. Lottery West, which is our state lotteries agency, mm-hmm. and the state government, which uh, donated the land to build the centre on, and the other two agencies gave us the construction money um, to build our fantastic centre. The the Telethon Trust um, we connected in with through our board chairman, Jeff Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Newman is is my uncle, so it's okay. a true family centre. Yeah. Um, and it was very much his vision. Um, together, we said for many years, you know, we got to do something because if I struggled so much and I had a had strong family support and mm. um, was health literate and I still really took diabetes hard, um, Jeff said, you know, if Beck's like this, gosh, mm. what's happening to all these other families? Yeah. And he got really stuck into the space while I was away studying and gallivanting around the world, he started uh, comparing balls for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and really understanding the type 1 community mm-hmm. and the research space a little better. And um, when um, he he pulled a board together and, and rang me up, I was in Fiji mm-hmm. um, working for the Red Cross at the time, and, and he said, we've, we've got a uh, look in it, some land at the hospital campus in Osmond Park. Come back. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so. so, so you, you, your, um, 
uh, educationally, you did a, a, a law degree, right? Mm. You, so you, you did you ever practice? I lasted for two weeks. <laughs> I hear that story a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I started law, and I found it very, very challenging and interesting mm. um, as academic study. Mm. And I've got a real passion for social justice, but yeah. um, I didn't fa- find that played out once I got into um, a corporate setting. And yeah. um, I bailed out, and I bought a ticket to yeah. um, to Thailand, yeah. much to my mother's chagrin, and, and <laughs> took off and didn't come home for two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> um, Just I, a gap year, Mum. Yeah, I, I sailed boats around the world in the end. That was my job, delivering yachts from Excellent. Europe to America and had some wonderful adventures. Mm. Got into quite a lot of pickles in my di- <laughs> with, with diabetes in particular. Yeah. My wonderful mum sent me care packages from Perth, Western Australia to whatever port I was going to end up in in a few nice. weeks' time of diabetes test strips and <laughs> insulin and all the things that I was running out of. Yeah. Um, and it gave me a really... It, it, I, I was in a lot of developing countries throughout sure. that time. That would have been eye-opening. It was. It was. Um, I, I remember noticing, because you're keyed into it, I think, when mm. you manage a health condition, what other people were going through, mm. um, and you're always on the lookout for other people who are living the same experience and, sure. and, and trying to compare and contrast that. Mm. And I realized after a good, long, hard think that I'm interested in health, Mm. Um, I read about health all the time. I think about my own health and others. And so that led me to come back and do a Master of Public Health with the University of Sydney. And that's what right. really guided me into the nonprofit space. Mm. Yeah. So, so I have an interesting, um, similar experience. I, 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 I went down the route of, of studying math, pure math at, at uni and, uh, I, I, I didn't actually finish the degree. I didn't, I didn't finish the degree and, and work for two weeks. I, I recognized that, that the, uh, unless I was in the top 0.1%, I was not going to be able to do maths as a career. I really would like to do, have done that, but I wasn't in the top 0.1%. Yeah. Um, maybe I was in the top 1%, but that wasn't going to be good enough. And so they were pigeonholing me into a career as a maths teacher and I didn't want to do that. So I recognized that early on in the process. Um, when I had a great career as a programmer, did, you know, worked on Wall Street, all that kind of stuff, and then um, got diabetes at late in life, um, well, at 38, that's actually early in life, the kind of diabetes that I got, and um, basically retired at 40 to try and work out how what was going wrong with my metabolism? Why was I breaking when other people weren't? And what was it about my metabolism that was that was that I could I could get some traction on and and fix? It took me about a decade to find a ketogenic diet. I then became a podcaster. I'm actually going back to uni doing biochemistry, so because I want to contribute to the sum of human knowledge by doing fundamental research, and I've got some some plans and some ideas. And so I, I totally get how life. Yes, you, you think you're going in one direction and then, you know, um, in this case with, with me, I get late diagnosis. You had, you had this diagnosis, what, from 17? 17, yeah. And, yeah. In a, in a funny way, I, you know, I, nobody loves having type 1 diabetes, but. Nobody loves having type 2 either. <laughs> there you go. But it, um, <laughs> but it, it's been a strange, and curious blessing mm-hmm. because it has given me the most powerful sense of purpose. Mm. Um, and I think that knowing what I'm on this earth to do, and that is to connect and inform and inspire other people with type one who are like me, um, it, it's 
why I'm here and mm. and I'm I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um so in it's helped guide a lot of the decisions that I've made and um I'm now 34 and so so proud to be part of the project that we're now running in Western Australia. Absolutely. Yeah. Um and it is the most rewarding, satisfying, challenging job mm. um and uh, I I've got type 1 diabetes to thank for that. Yeah. Yeah, and so you connect kids together with social events. You do like camps for for teenagers, and yep. you do um, like you're telling the story about the pizza event. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell us that story. So we one of the things that we do is we we cook with the kids. So um, we we firmly believe that um, the medical model is one aspect of diabetes care, but there mm-hmm. are three other pillars of good diabetes care: mm-hmm. insulin therapy, essential. Yeah. Peer support, Mm. often forgotten but absolutely critical. Physical activity, Mm. a lot of fear in our community around that. Not well promoted. How how can I exercise if I'm going to go hypo? Exactly. We only just had international consensus guidelines issued around exercise and type 1 diabetes last year. Wow. So, and even they are the beginning of the mm. puzzle. Um, so, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in raising confidence, I think, around being physically active with mm. type 1 diabetes. And I think that is really, really speaks to um, the, the statistics that we've got around obesity and overweight rates in the type 1 population. And mm. this is something, certainly something where we need to do some work. So, we, 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 we have a life without limits message. We get kids in front of people who've done amazing stuff, Sebastian Sass. Phil, who has type 1 and mm-hmm. ran across Canada. Yeah, and you've done some s- stuff as well. You did a, a, an amazing, like, marathon swim yeah, to, to I, Rockness I, Island, I right? did a 20-kilometre swim last wow. year, um, <laughs> open water swim, and yeah. I'd certainly love to go into that, but um, I, will, I will circle back to the pizza yeah, um, sure. <laughs> because that fourth pillar of diabetes care is nutrition right. and food. And um, we believe that you can make smart decisions mm-hmm. around food that impact your blood glucose just as powerfully as your insulin decisions. Yes. But we don't shine enough of a light on it in our mm. traditional care. And I think the best practice care that um, that is that's delivered at the moment says that kids will get four clinic sessions a year. That's mm-hmm. what you should get. And at each clinic, you'll check in with the medical side of the team. Right. But only at one of those sessions should you get a dietetic review. Once annually. Wow. That's standard of care. Yeah. Now, I think that that dietetics and nutrition and the food conversation needs to be front and centre alongside the medical. Absolutely. So, long story, but we... um, we, we cook with the kids. We have a kids in the kitchen program. We have teen cooking as well. And, and to a large extent, it's just about hanging out because, mm-hmm. you know, if I, somebody had said, Oh, Beck, I want you to go into this place and they're going to do a program for kids with diabetes. I would have run screaming in the opposite direction. So this is about getting kids in under the pretext of doing something fun and yeah. cool. Yeah. And, and getting you into the, <laughs> to the event as well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, if I was that age, I wouldn't have just wouldn't have been my yeah. thing. Like, yeah. you know, it's like saying all, all, all of you kids sit on a bus because you've all got blue eyes so you should you know have something in common it's right. it's it, you don't necessarily want to sit and talk about type 1 diabetes when you when you're a teenager and um, feelings and all that sort of stuff but they we get them in we get our hands dirty we have a great time making food and and I think one of the things that we do is give kids a choice around what is it that you want to eat? And let's talk about how that's going to influence your blood glucose so the pizza night we got them all in and everybody said you guys are mad 
doing a pizza night. Pizza is kryptonite for people with type 1 diabetes because um, you've got all that carbohydrate and all that fat and that hangs around for a really long time. And it, it, so the fat extends the the absorption of carbohydrates. So absolutely. For a type one, uh, I mean, for for type two, we know that fat's not uh, manipulating our insulin, but for a type one, it's slowing the release of the carbohydrates, and so that it changes how you're going to have to dose your insulin. Well, it, exactly. And if you don't do it right, I mean, we're we're talking about elevated blood glucose glucose for up to eight or nine hours after mm. eating pizza or wow. fish and chips or one of those high fat, high carb foods, and that's really difficult to manipulate a rapid acting insulin. That sure. The lifespan of that rapid acting insulin is three hours. Mm. So we're talking about multiple boluses, extended boluses, all these crazy pump settings that you can mm. utilize or using different types of insulins or multiple injections. So it's a palaver. Mm. You got to do string theory to deal with pizza. <laughs> um, so, but, but this is really around, okay, well, let's work out another way to do pizza mm. rather than working, um, working out the string theory with the insulin. Mm-hmm. Let's help with that. So we got them in. We made a normal pizza base because, you know, there are some kids that their palates are adjusted a certain way mm-hmm. and there's going to be really hard to change. Mm. So we had that for them, but we also made a cauliflower one. We made mm. the fat head one. Nice. We made a zucchini one and we made one from the protein bread company. Mm-hmm. And the kids got to try all of them. We mm-hmm. said, have a bit. This is how much carbohydrate is in each slice of each one of these. It's up to you what you have. Yeah. Eat, enjoy, and then let's have a look at your continuous glucose monitors. Mm-hmm. And I can feel confident to say that not a single one of those kids walked out of that pizza night with sky-high blood glucose, wow. and they all had a good night afterwards. They Outstanding. weren't. Outstanding. And, that, and that's what we want. And it yeah. was very interesting. That's the benchmark. It give these kids a normal experience. Exactly. Yeah. And the bit that I loved, the real clincher, was that the one that they left the most of <laughs> was the normal pizza yeah. base. Yeah. They yeah. ate Doesn't up the whole me. cauliflower one. I had mums yeah. coming in going, yeah. you got my kid eating cauliflower? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was Under good. pizza. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. So. so, yeah, that was a good night. And I think that's what we do at the family center. It's not around – our position is not that um, low-carbohydrate diets are the only way to manage diabetes. No. We acknowledge and respect and honor that there mm-hmm. are different palates, there are different cultural pressures on the way people eat, that um, people have different budgets, mm-hmm. people have different levels of motivation and skills around cooking yeah. and food. So, we we – do though acknowledge there's a spectrum of ways to manage diabetes and low carb is a legitimate and effective tool. That's the critical thing because a lot of the diabetes peak bodies, and I'd, I'd, I'd put you guys in the category of a peak body f- responsible for dealing, uh, help, helping uh, move us forward on the diabetes picture. Um, a lot of the diabetic, diabetics peak bodies don't even admit that that's an option. That a low carb ketogenic diet is an option, and that's that's my personal focus to try and change. I don't want to make everyone eat a ketogenic diet. I, don't, I really don't care what other people eat, as long as other di- diabetics have the option. And right now, you know, we don't have the option. And I think even more than the option, I think um, having seen a number of people, adults in my world in particular, who have gone and tried to go on to a a lower carbohydrate approach or even Mm -hmm. a a keto approach on their own Mm -hmm. using resources that they've read or found online that um, may not have given them the Mm -hmm. information that they need. I think we need more than just the option. I think we need support, Um, targeted clinical dietetic support for Mm -hmm. people who really do need to make sure that they're hitting their micronutrient targets and their energy needs because it's very demotivating Mm -hmm. If you try something and you don't adjust your insulin downwards a- adequately and you end up 
on the floor with multiple hypos, which is the first thing that can happen. Sure. And then you find you're tired because you've you've cut out a certain aspect of your food, normal food, and you're not getting enough energy in. And that's really standard as well. So right. the option, absolutely, but the option and the support and the so support. that people can do it safely and effectively and sustainably. Yeah, because right now dietitians get delisted if they, I mean, Jennifer Evans uh, was, was um, kicked out of the, uh, basically prevented from accessing Medicare by losing her DAA uh, accreditation mm. because she recommended a ketogenic diet to a diabetic. So, Well, look, I mean, I, I see CSIRO, I mean, Australia's peak government scientific body yeah, putting out... of the NIH. Yeah, yeah putting out a, a low-carbohydrate diet for type 2 diabetics um, and, and multiple cookbooks around it, and mm-hmm. it's being endorsed by their top-level scientists. Um, so I think that in, in that sense, the Dietitians Association of Australia is in conflict with CSIRO if they're mm-hmm. acting as, um, as you've described, mm-hmm. and that needs to be resolved. And I think we have an opportunity now with a new incoming CEO for the DAA to join the Australian Health Practitioners Regulation Agency Absolutely. to become transparent about mm-hmm. the funding that it takes in from big food yep. um, or kill that entirely, mm-hmm. ideally, and that sponsorship level and really start to join the ranks of um, associations mm-hmm. um, that are operating in a way that's accountable to the public. They really need to bifurcate into a lobby group and a peak body group because what they're trying to do is they're trying to straddle the bridge of both a lobby group for their in, for their interests and their and their corporate interests, and a, a peak body group for they don't they 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 purport not to 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 be uh, advising for disease states for for people who the, the, the Australian dietary guidelines is only for people who are healthy and normal mm. for whatever that means. But it's not enough to get them out of responsibility for coming up with a, a solution for diabetics. And we now have, with the Verda study, at least for type 2 diabetics, we have with the Verda study, we've got incontrovertible clinical data that shows that we can get uh, type 2 diabetics, 90% of type 2 diabetics off all their medication and 60% re- reversing their disease. Um, we need the same kind of stuff for type 1 diabetics. And that's that's something that is apparently coming. It was all evident at the presentations yesterday that, that there are PhD students already now working on ketogenic diets in type 1 diabetics. And so that's fascinating. I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. Speaking of which, you've actually been ketogenic for 17 years, right? I've been low carb for 17 years mm-hmm. and I've been keto since 2013. Wow. Yeah. So um, after I was diagnosed, um, I... At 17, right? At 17, um, I was put on around 50 units of insulin a day and I was told to eat according to the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. So, you know, 8 to 12 serves of breads and cereals and starchy vegetables and I dutifully did so. I had breakfast cereal and toast and sandwiches for lunch and pasta by the bowlful for dinner and I was dosing these industrial doses of insulin to try and cover it and my glucose was surging high after every meal from the tsunamis of glucose and carbohydrates that I was putting in and then crashing, crashing down afterwards from these huge doses of insulin. I would put on weight. I felt so unhappy. I I felt Mm. so much fear. I I couldn't – I felt afraid to go to sleep because Mm. I had so many incapacitating hypos throughout the night. And I remember waking up about eight months into my experience and thinking – I've had enough. Mm. I'm, I'm not prepared to live like this. There's mm. got to be another way. Mm. And um, 
I read about Dr. Bernstein um, mm. and his book, The Diabetes Solution, online, and I saved up my – I was earning $11 an hour in a video <laughs> store, and I had to save up for $66 to send away for this book, and it took weeks to come because there was yeah. no Amazon or book depository back then. No. Um, and I got it, and I remember – I, I almost devoured it in a few days, and that's yeah. no mean feat if you've read Dr. Bernstein. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it was so logical to me, yeah, uh, yeah. and it, it made so much sense, and it was it, it aligned with the way that I was already thinking about why the hell am I eating all this carbohydrate if I if I have a disease of carbohydrate metabolism? Totally, yeah. And um, and I, I pulled the high level principles um, and and it applied them, and almost overnight everything changed. Um, my blood glucose stabilized. I dropped my doses back to less than 25% of my previous total, and I still take between 12 and 17 units of insulin okay. total a day, mm -hmm. um, seven, 17 years in. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to go for a run confidently on my own. I could sleep through the night without feeling afraid, and I, I got my quality of life back. Mm. Um, and I think that I... I did it on my own and that was the hardest part um, and I found that to me it made sense and there was logic in it but I was constantly defending it to others around me because this yeah. is a long time before people talked about low-carb, high-fat on podcasts right. or yeah. had presentations about it or yeah. there was any internet resources on it. There weren't any forums or mm. anywhere where I could go. So that was a real struggle was holding on to what I knew was the my truth yeah. and the thing I needed to do for my health, yeah. but at a, quite a young age. It's quite isolating, I would have thought, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're going up against experts here. Absolutely. And that, that would have been terrifying. My diabetes team included. Yeah. And that was, I think that was one of the more isolating things was I disconnected mm. from my health team because yeah. we just bumped up against each other yeah. in relation to how I was managing my diabetes. And so I was not only without support from my social circle, mm. I was without support from a diabetes team as well. Yeah. So um, it wasn't perfect, um, but I knew that that was what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of commonality between the experience. I mean, type 2 diabetes and type 1 diabetes are two totally different diseases and they really shouldn't both be called diabetes. The, the reason they are is because it's a diagnostic criteria. It's glucose goes too high, that's diabetes. We only diagnose diabetes when glucose goes high and then we lump everybody in the same basket. But there is a lot of commonality between between the two it, the two experiences because I, I had a similar thing. The book for me that changed my life was Art and Science of Low Carb Living by Steve Finney and Jeff Follick. And that that was a light bulb moment. It was, aha, yes, that makes sense. You know, why am I eating a diet high in carbohydrates when I'm – I, I can't tolerate a lot of carbohydrates, and um, I think that the uh, and, I, and I had the same problem with my with my uh, certified diabetes educator. Uh, I was told to that if I spoke about low carbohydrate diets in group sessions, I'd be kicked out of the group. And you know, I was given a diet and told um, you know three hundred grams of carbohydrates a day, and I said, well, look. In the 2004, I, I went on an Atkins diet, and that actually helped me. I, I felt good there, and they said, you are absolutely not to do that because it's not good for diabetics. It's okay for people who, who, who are on fad diets and able to flip in and out, but you, you can't do it. Your, your metabolism, you can't, you must have glucose. And so, I know, right? I slap your head, <laughs> slap your forehead. That's ridiculous. So, uh, it, even though the two diseases are different, we get lumped into the same kind of thing. And I think that, one difference I would remark about type 1 diabetes or my observation of the difference is that the, the experience 
by just about every di- uh, every type 1 diabetic, when they first get diagnosed, is a dramatic depression and it's fear and because it's a critical thing that could, you know, could, could take you in your sleep. And for a type 2 diabetic, it's shame. It's like you mm. did this to yourself. And so there's less sort of, for a type 2, maybe we're a little bit luckier as a type 2 diabetic because we can say, oh, well, I did this to myself, you know. Whereas for a type 1 diabetic, it's, you know, the world is against me, that poor me, why has this happened to me? And, and it, I guess shame in a funny kind of way gives you permission to accept what has happened, whereas it, it's a little bit difficult for, you know, or different in a type 1. But But from that point onwards, the... The fact that we've, we, our dietetic standards have taken us down a dogmatic path, and we live on either we live on a we live on a different path. We, our metabolism is unable to survive that without progressing our disease or having deathly hypo, hypos or you know di- going lapsing into diabetic, diabetic comas. All of these co- kinds of horrible things that could happen to us if we follow the experts. That's why it's so good to have an organisation like yours that's dealing with. Even if it's just dealing with type one diabetic kids, it's a start, you know, and it, it, it's it's giving them a, um, a, a a normalcy, a normal a normal experience. And you, as somebody who's been ketogenic or at least low carb for so long, um, your lived example for these kids is is remarkable. And and I really want to talk about your swim to Roddy. <laughs> How did that happen? Oh, um. I needed a challenge um, about 18 months ago. I, mm-hmm. um, I've swum my whole life, um, but I'd had a big hiatus um, because I'd been overseas and I've, I'm, I'm very active. I love riding bikes and sailing and diving and doing all that stuff, but the ocean is home for mm-hmm. me. And um, the idea of a, a big open water swim like that, I've always looked across to Rottnest Island from the beach <laughs> here right. and thought, I'll swim there one day. Yeah. Um, and I've done the swim as, as a duo and as multiple teams and, and it came up and I kept on thinking about it and I thought, okay, I don't know if this is something that I can do with type one, but damn, I'd really like to try. Um, mm-hmm. and the freestyle Libre device, um, was released. And I think that, that really pushed me over the, over into the challenge because, um, I had, Trouble with marathon swimming in relation to blood glucose testing. It was the, yeah. it's the biggest, um, biggest challenge because when my fingers are cold and wet mm-hmm. and when I'm not allowed to touch the paddler because mm-hmm. I'll be my support paddler because that, that's a disqualification. Um, yeah. It's 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 imp- almost impossible it's to test blood glucose with you, a finger prick. Yeah, you can't do a capillary blood when your fingers are cold. So, exactly, yeah. and when they're wet, it's mm, even more impossible yeah, to get yeah. a solid blood drop yeah. to put onto a machine. So I remember one a few years ago, I did a ten k swim with my mate, and we thought, oh, we, we'll give this a go. Mm. Um, and w- I was uh, treading water furiously with my hands <laughs> out, and we were drying my fingers off, and I was doing it all, and and this huge wave came out of nowhere, uh, and <laughs> she ended up in the drink, and all my beer testing stuff yeah. ended up at the bottom of the ocean so we just gave up yeah. and um anyway so the, and continuous glucose monitors are fantastic but they don't transmit in the water yeah so when this freestyle libre device the flash mm-hmm. monitor came out i thought Wacko, i saw, I can I do saw this. it under your arm when you lifted your yeah. arm up there it's just like a little white disc that yeah with a, with a, 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 a sticky that's 
sticks to the underside of your arm. So it's about the size of a twenty cent piece, mm-hmm. and I it lasts for two weeks, and it has a little um a about little the size of a Susan B. Anthony in, for my American friends. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and it has a little um fiber that's in inserted under my skin, and it measures the the glucose between the cells, the interstitial fluid. Sure. Um, and uh, I can scan a receiver or mm-hmm. now my phone, um, mm-hmm. and it will tell me what my blood glucose is. It will give me an eight hour history and a current trend as well. So really good information. Lovely. Um, so I put the receiver in a waterproof bag and I could stick it down the back of my, my swimming togs yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I could train and yeah. I was totally self-sufficient in the water. Yeah. So I could do these How huge sets. That must have been. Yeah. It was awesome because before when I was training, I used to ride my bike all the way along the beach and drop blood glucose monitors and glucose. Seriously, every kilometer. It was just madness. So you had to do a whole pre-stage for the. For, for, yeah, to to, to, to do yeah. a training yeah. set, oh, and um and and it was just too much. So now I, I can go out and I could swim for ten k's with my mates nice. and not have to go into shore once. So that was cool. Um, and that was the thing. So I started training, and um, and the the campaign it was a sort of it's eight months training campaign, and the and the day dawned, and um I. I was ready and I was well and truly fat adapted. I've been, mm-hmm. as I said, I've been eating keto, less than 30 grams of carbohydrates a day um, for, nice. for five or six years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pretty nervous, so I just had a couple of little protein coconut oil mm-hmm. ball things I call amaze balls. The recipe's <laughs> on my blog. My blog's yeah. called Swim Cillin. Well, we, we actually have a recipe section after the interview. Carl oh. and I will each do a recipe. So if you don't mind, can I do your amaze balls oh, as, for sure. as a recipe? There you go. Yep. So Carl's got to do some work. I've, I've, I've done my you're job. you're sorted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had a couple of my amaze balls and a, and a bulletproof coffee. Mm-hmm. And um, little did I know that that was going to be the only food I was going to have for the rest of the oh. day. So I got down the beach about half past four in the morning and, and we, we jumped in and my sugar level was 8.1 at that point. Yeah. And um, we we swam. In the first 10Ks, I was on point. Did that three and a half hours. That was the time I'd aimed for. I was keen yeah. for a seven-hour crossing. But there was a little choppy wave over the left, my right-hand shoulder, and I swallowed a lot of seawater. Mm. And um, I started feeling pretty sick in the belly and I started being sick. And that was a really – I was so dismayed when I realized that I was seasick because it's pretty hard to shake unless mm-hmm. you get back onto dry land. And I had a long way to swim before. Yeah. Dry land. Uh-huh. So I, I was unfortunately sick every 15 or 20 minutes for the next six uh, hours in the water. I can't even imagine vomiting it while swimming in seawater. It just, it just. It's disgusting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't want to know that part of it. But just, the, <laughs> just, I mean, it, it, you take an involuntary breath in before you vomit and it's just like it, it, with the water. Oh, just. And the, the thing is, when you. I wasn't even allowed to hang on to anything. Right. So not only was I sick and yeah. cold and freezing, tired and exhausted and water. being sick, I had to tread water and keep my face out of the water so, <laughs> so I could breathe. So um, couldn't you do, like do a bit of backstroke and just? Yeah, I, I, yeah, probably did. You know, but um, but anyway, like we we got stuck in this huge current and the whole fleet got pushed southwards so hard so there was one point I swam for two hours and I gained no ground and sick and tired but what I do know is that I did that whole swim I was in the water for nine hours and 54 minutes and I had virtually no hydration or nutrition for most of that swim I had a few sips of water every time I was sick and some hydration salts I didn't eat anything and if I had have been glucose adapted and if I had have needed to stop for gel shots and baby puree and all the mad things people eat every 30 minutes 
You would have had I to would never have made it. You would have had to be pulled from the race, yeah. No way. Because the, the idea that it, with a ketogenic diet, I have adapted my body to burn fat prefer- preferentially to glucose mm. um, means I have an almost endless supply of energy. You know, I could swim to Madagascar with the fat in my left bum cheek. <laughs> <laughs> so what that to me is the holy grail. I've yeah. got an endless supply of energy. Yeah. I can exercise relentlessly and I can achieve stable blood glucose levels because I'm not constantly inputting carbohydrate and insulin carbohydrate and insulin and messing around with that so um to me it, it was mind-blowing the things that you can achieve from an endurance sports perspective yeah. using keto yeah. and even better with diabetes yeah I, I can uh, uh i can fast for three days without missing a beat hop on my bike and ride for four hours 100 kilometers and the first maybe 15 minutes might be a little bit difficult but because I, I'm trying to low, I mean, my, my body is saying is running out of fuel at that point, and and having to drop insulin low. But once it gets low, and I have access to my body fat for reserves, I could I, I get off the bike after four hours, and I literally feel like I could do that for another four hours. It, wow. it wouldn't make any difference to me. So, and a funny story, I'm also in some of these cycles I do. I'm every fifteen minutes I have my alarm go off, and I, I, I my BG monitor. I don't have one of your fancy. Continuous glucose monitors. So I've got to, I've got to do ketone and, and, and blood testing because I'm, 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 for, when I do these, sometimes I do experiments like, uh, I, I, uh, I, t- I try to deplete, try to deplete all my glycogen and then eat a, a whey shake and look at how long it takes my glucose to come back up again. And that then gives me an indication of how much insulin is being produced by the whey to drag my circulating glucose into, into muscles. And so, it's like a proxy for how much insulin is being produced by the way. So I do these experiments mm. and, and fancy stuff. But and if you, it'll be on my podcast. We, we talk about that sometimes. That I will definitely stuff. listen to but, that. Yeah. because so, that sounds like a really curious experiment to that's do. A, that's a fun experiment. I'll put a link to the, the 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 article that I wrote on the ketogenic forums about this particular experiment in the show notes for this. So you get to Rotnes Island. What was the experience of finishing that after having like for two hours you were in, at a sand standstill mm. and you you swam for what nine hours fifty five minutes? Yeah. What was the experience of 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 finishing? Oh, it was it was incredible. I when when you're the island sort of pulls you in and it gets it takes a very long time. You see the bottom for a long time and but it's just tantalizingly a little bit too deep to stand up and I, I remember trying to stand up about <laughs> seven or eight times and my feet didn't touch the bottom. I was so but but when I finally got to the point where I was in waist deep water and I could stand up and I couldn't see because my eyes were so swollen up from yeah, the salt and the dehydration. And then <laughs> I was just I was a I must have looked like the creature from the Black Lagoon <laughs> and I could hear the voices all around me from all of the people that had come to the island to, to welcome me back and welcome me there and um, back, 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 oh you made it yeah and I, you know, I was so far behind, yeah. a lot of them had to, they all had five o'clock ferry tickets so a lot of them sort of said well done, I gotta go but, um, yeah. but um, it was the most amazing sense of achievement that yes. um that I had gotten there I was so proud of myself and I think the exciting thing was I'm able to come back to our community now and go look what people with type 1 diabetes in your world are yeah. able to achieve and I think that that means so much to me to be able to Say to the kids, see that island over there? I swam there. And one day you might be able <laughs> yeah. to as well. You take them for a trip on the ferry and say, you know, you could always swim back if yeah. you want. 
<laughs> um, I might not come this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for um, spending some time with us. Uh, the, uh, and your presentation yesterday was wonderful. It was like a TED Talk, and really, you, you should be on TED doing it, doing that as a TED Talk. So. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for that, and uh, and and good luck with the the, the, the project. And uh, let us know if we can help at all. Thank you very much. Nice, thank you. Could you save your Wow, truly inspirational. Yeah, there was one thing I didn't ask her about during this interview, and I can't believe I didn't mention it. She has just co-authored a paper with with dietitian Karen Zinn um, that has been published in the – it's either – I think it was published in the BMJ, and it is a formulation of a ketogenic diet that is nutritionally sound, has all of the essential nutrition. And this is something apparently has never been done before. Wow. So um, we'll put links into the show notes to that study. Fantastic. I can't believe I didn't mention it in the interview, but that was uh, that's another outstanding thing that this wonderful woman has done. Wow, awesome. So you feeling peckish, my friend? Yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> I think it's time for some recipes. That's Carl. He always likes to get the last word in. <laughs> no, it's just because I got sexy phlegm today. Uh-oh. I do, actually, yeah. I'm, I'm getting over a chest cold, so I wanted to give everybody the benefit of hearing that. <laughs> well, my recipe that I'm going to do today is actually Becca's recipe, and you'll know if you listen to the interview that I promised uh, to uh, do this recipe. And this is the this is the uh, nutrition that she ate when she did her rotto swim, and uh, these are amaze balls. Amaze and they, balls. And, yeah, and they make about twenty five, and uh, they are about four grams of carbohydrates each. So this is not something necessarily that a uh, a low carb ketogenic uh, type two diabetic who's not exercising is going to want to make for themselves. But I'll suggest a couple of um, uh, substitutions that, we, that would enable us to to be able to use them, maybe be lower carb. Okay. Amaze balls are these uh, coconut covered chocolate balls. They're high protein and they're and they have it. They have, as I say, four grams of carbs. They're designed to enable her to be able to have nutrition when she's doing her marathon swims. And so, energy uh, from the carbs, yeah. That's right. So mm. um so this the maize balls I make about twenty five. She starts with uh, some protein powder. She uses whey, but you can use pea or brown rice protein, uh, which will also work. Um, and you can probably use egg white protein as well. Uh, egg white powder. These are all uh, uh, reasonable proteins to use. Hundred grams of that, and then she has. 80 grams of dried dates soaked in hot water for 30 minutes. Now, mm. dates are about 70% glucose, and that's yeah. where all the carbs are in this. So um, I'm going to suggest that towards the end, I'm going to suggest some alternatives for using dates. But okay. uh, she also suggests uh, having 140 grams of walnuts, 140 grams of almonds, mm. about 50 grams of coconut oil, mm. some coconut powder, about three tablespoons of coconut powder and uh, uh, some vanilla essence she has about a teaspoon of vanilla essence and a little bit of water and some desiccated coconut for rolling so the method is easy and we'll put links to the to her blog uh with all of the details for the recipe she puts all the ingredients except the water in a food processor and she whizzes it until the uh it, it basically combines and it the dates are really binding the the, the food together. That's why I've, I've left them in her recipe. Mm. Um, and then if it looks a little bit too dry, you add water 
uh, and and blitz it again and just um, uh, use that basically you're going to slowly add water until it gets just the right consistency and then you mm. form it into balls you roll it in coconut and you store it in the fridge and then you can enjoy them mm. so um, I would say as a as a replacement for dates what I would do is I would get some uh, coconut flakes or desiccated coconut and coconut oil and I'd blend that up till it's like a nut butter, like a coconut Mm. nut butter, Mm. and I'd use that instead. And that that will probably um, work to bind the balls together. So uh, that's my suggestion for that recipe. Um, But I'm going to try that. I'm just going to try it with the dates and and just, uh, you know, four grams of carbs. I'll only have one and I want to taste what they taste like for her. Sure. That's my recipe. So what have you got, Carl? That's very good. <laughs> Sounds amazeballs. Cool. <laughs> so what do you got? Well, uh, I have something that I'm calling in, you know, deference to Beck, amaze cheese. <laughs> okay. With a Z. <laughs> With amaze cheese. <laughs> C-H-E-E-Z. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, American cheese, for those who grew up eating it, is is kind of addictive, you know? it. it we, we like it on sandwiches, you, you know, in this country, if you like American cheese, you really like American cheese. Uh, cheese and slices. You, yeah, yeah, it, cheese slices, okay. processed yeah, we, we cheese cra- food. We'd, you, we'd call them craft slices in Australia. Well, that's, yeah, that's the brand, of course, craft slices. Yeah, yeah but they're the only ones that make the sliced cheese here. So oh, okay. They, it's, like, it's like clinics, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a lot of types of processed cheese, and a lot of them aren't good for you. <laughs> the the cla- the craft deli deluxe ones seem to be you know no oil or any any of that stuff it's just uh, right. just cheese yeah but it is processed and if you miss it this is what i'm saying if you miss it there's mm-hmm. a great way that you can make superior cheese slices okay and have them at the ready and go to town awesome that's what this is so mm-hmm. we've done the trisodium citrate cheese sauce twice yeah. I did it yeah. early on uh, in the in the show uh, history, and then you did a, a a more watery one that you used the magic bullet for. Yeah, you know, a looser one. My cheesy balls were also using this as well. Yep, but this is essentially you, you you're making this with the right combination of cheese, and then you're letting it set in the fridge in a square container, and then you pull it out and make slices off of it with a cheese slicer, and right. those can go right on your burgers. They can go over steak. They can go over anything. Go over broccoli. And because they've been made with a trisodium citrate, when it melts, it just, you know, it turns into mm. that melty, gooey, stringy cheese. It's wonderful. Yeah. So All trisodium right. citrate is a salt that is designed to enable cheese to emulsify in water. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So what mm-hmm. you want to do is order some of that. Um, uh, I ordered it through Amazon.com, but you can, you know, just look for trisodium citrate. Yep. You get two-thirds of a cup of water in a pot. Mm-hmm. And okay. add a tablespoon, yes, a tablespoon of trisodium citrate to that. Doesn't need much, yeah. Doesn't need much. You want a, a teaspoon of salt and uh, black pepper to taste, maybe another teaspoon of that. Now, here's the magic combination for me. Eight ounces mm. of sharp cheddar. Mm-hmm. You want this grated, of course. Eight ounces of smoked gouda. Ooh, yeah. Now, smoked gouda melts a little weird, but it, it can't resist trisodium citrate. <laughs> it turns into <laughs> no. a beautiful sauce. Yeah. Uh, and then eight ounces of Parmesan, shredded Parmesan cheese. And I don't, I didn't use Parmesan or Reggiano. I just used the, the store bought Parmesan that has the big flakes. So it does 
have a little, you know, it's more like cheddar. It has more yeah. uh, give to it. It's like a dried cheddar. Yeah. Yep. So, what you do is you bring the water, salt, pepper, and trisodium citrate to a boil. Just as soon mm-hmm. as it boils, you turn it down to low. You add the cheese, all of it, and stir it right. until it's melted and nicely melted. Mm. And right then, it's going to be very thick, and it's going to go well on your your bacon burger, your butter poached burger, uh, whatever sandwich of the day, on oopsie mm-hmm. bread or whatever your favorite. Uh, it, yeah. Right now, it's the perfect thick cheese sauce. It's cheese thick. sauce. Yeah, it won't right. run. It's 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 very thick, viscous. Yeah, yeah, very viscous. So what you do is you allow it to cool slightly, and you just pour it into a square Tupperware or you know plastic bin in the fridge mm-hmm. turn yeah. you know put it in the fridge and then like i said when you're ready for a slice of cheese you just pull that off get yourself a cheese slicer and go to town so and it's it- like an adult version of cheese singles exactly nice exactly with better cheese as well i mean this is not this is not the rubbish stuff that there's in singles this is good cheese and if you want to make it really look like American cheese, you can mm-hmm. add uh, the yellow dye called anato to it <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. turn it orange, which is, it's like the weirdest thing for Aussies. We used to yellow cheese or even white cheese. Mm. We don't have orange cheese. There's like Red Leicester is probably the only orange cheese that we've got. Yeah. And like in America, every single cheese is pretty <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah. much orange. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It is weird. <laughs> so. But, you know, if you don't mm-hmm. want your guests to freak out and- you know. Yeah. But I'm telling you, when it melts, of course, it's going to- Does it melt properly? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's perfect. Mm, it's perfect. perfect. I made a, a grilled cheese sandwich for Kelly with this stuff, and she was like, hmm, I don't know. And I said, well, <laughs> what about the taste or the texture? She, It was more the taste, but the texture yeah. was great. It melted. It was wonderful. Mm, so nice. that's it, man. That's a show. Mm. Of course, if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter at 2ketodudes, on Instagram at 2ketodudes, and make sure to use the hashtag 2ketodudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.2keto.com. And if useless swag is your fancy, you know, t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other junk with witty keto sayings on them, head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want a shot at getting some of that swag for free, join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club. You'll be eligible to win something in every show. Go to fanclub.2keto.com. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, including 2 Keto Dudes, Keto Woman with Daisy Brackenhall, the Obesity Code podcast with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos, and... Making its debut very shortly, Keto Families and Keto Kids Mm. with Karen and Mark. Think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. Or just hit the donate button on our website at www.2ketodudes.com or just go to donate.2keto.com. You can also see our videos, our podcasts, other videos like from Keto Fest on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. And if you haven't already bought a ticket to Keto Fest, you better go and get that while the Kickstarter is going because <laughs> after the Kickstarter, those prices are going up. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And that brings us to that very special phrase, 
Keep calm and keto on, Richard. Yeah, keep calm and keto on, Kyle. All right. We'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Dudes.